Hello again and welcome to the Les Represent podcast where we interview wonderful individuals that are female identifying queer and of marginalized genders about their stories, their experiences, their projects, and just to get to know someone from our beautiful community because who better represents you than you? Uh, a bit of an update before we start. Uh, we now have a Patreon. Yay! This will help us cover the cost of the show and help us hopefully get started a nice little monthly giveaway with goodies by our lovely creators in the queer community. Uh, we definitely want to pay and support them for this. So, you know, for as low as a dollar a month, you can get access to bloopers, eruptions, as some would call them, conversations that didn't make it into the episode, um, even some early access to some episodes whenever I get around to uploading them. Uh, and of course, if there's anything else you guys would be interested in, feel free to email us at lesrepresentpodcast.yahoo.com and DM us on Twitter. And if you have a story or a project or even just something you want to talk about, just something, a burning desire that you feel like is not being talked about enough, feel free to DM us and we can see if we can get you a spot on here. And now, without further ado, let us get to our lovely guest. I am super, super excited to be talking to them today, and I'm just going to let them introduce themselves. And thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Please introduce yourself. Hi, I am Robin. I'm an agender, non-binary trans person, originally from Ohio and currently living in Louisiana. I have a very lovely wife who is super smart and uh, writes poetry, and I make a podcast called Books That Burn with my older sibling, Nicole, and then have some younger siblings scattered across the mid to eh, middle of the U.S., mid to eastern bit that that middle part that middle part that doesn't have its like yeah that that middle hollywood whatever yeah missouri Um, tennessee and illinois and then i'm in louisiana so that must be quite the change from ohio to louisiana yes it it well so here's the thing the humidity is the same so it's basically like ohio august lasts longer and starts earlier Really? And then you don't get winter. Yeah, the humidity was like, oh, I know exactly what this is. That's that, that's amazing. Yeah, like people in Louisiana, when I got here, they were like, ah, oh, the humidity. That must be like so weird. And I'm like, I'm used to having to worry about the basement flooding and getting mold out and like everything molding and everyone has allergies. It's hot and humid and... As long as I can go into the air conditioning, I'll take that. Oh gosh, I can I can only I can only imagine because in Texas it's like I go anywhere else and it's cold. It is cold, and you know usually I'm like I can take the cold, and then I go to somewhere where it's actually cold. I went to Washington before <laughs> before the COVID started. Um, it was it was like February. Yes, it was in February, and mm-hmm. I was like, wow, this is this is cold. Like I couldn't, I couldn't stand outside without a wind barrier. Cause I was like, I was not built for this. I don't, you know, <laughs> it, it took me down a peg. That's for sure. Um, well, last, last fall, it got properly cold down here and I was so excited to wear my sleeveless vest. Just like went around feeling cold. Like I just like feeling like properly cold just once or twice a year. 
Um, and then the rest of the time, I'm okay with it being hot. I feel you. I feel you. It's like it gets that that like that little freeze that catches you off guard and kind of screws you over. But then in that like it, there's like maybe snow once a year, right? I'm assuming it's the same over there. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. about how it is here. Yeah, yeah. So you oh, you said thank you for joining us. Is it just you, or is there more than one of you? Um, us is me because I I am a a one woman show technically, but I I kind of say us is in a way like like that the podcast is is its own is its own entity in a way. I don't know. I feel like the podcast has a culture of its own, and we're just like welcoming you into the fold. Yeah, so you're using like the royal we. Yes, please explain this because I am, I do not know what that means. So, so the royal we is how like royalty would talk, would would speak. They always said, you know, welcome to our presence. You know, you have dishonored us. Like whatever. Like they didn't use. Like I'm talking about um, European royalty specifically. That's the context I'm aware of this in. Um, so, you know, uh, like, uh, Queen Victoria was, like, specifically known for doing this, um, and when she did it, my understanding is that she was referring to her royal presence and also, um, her, uh, her dead husband, the former king, and so just the, the royal we encompassed the royal presence and position and everything and it's just a like a a fancy reason to have a plural pronoun for a single person i i really enjoy that that was that was really fun to learn i would have i was wondering if i was like like did she consider herself the embodiment of the kingdom and to hear that they used we for some reason i was thinking it was further back when you know where i could have blamed inbreeding for why they did that but um (laughs) i mean my understanding is that like it's been a thing for a while um one of my younger siblings is the one that cares much more about european royalty but um yeah the i really have liked the royal we as a concept for a very long time because like if you i don't know in a corporate context it feels like weird and squicky but as like we are part of a kingdom. We embody this kingdom. You are speaking to us. Like, it feels fun. And I like the idea of a podcast having that kind of a zone. Uh, when I say we about the podcast, it's literally because it's myself and my co-host. And then whatever guests we have. So there's actually more than one person uh, in the room, generally. Absolutely. And I should definitely probably be more conscious to when I say we because every time I always talk to somebody like in the DMs I kind of like say oh we would love to have you on or we would love to interview you and I don't think of like does someone think there's another person here (laughs) I definitely thought there was another person there when you were messaging with that phrasing god I wish there was another person sometimes (laughs) like if I can like put off these editing duties and be like someone else please i would do it like editing is my least my least favorite out of yeah, like our our split is that i do the social media and nicole does the editing 
And how does that work out? Are y'all like okay with that arrangement? No, that that's it's working out great. Um, I was thinking of more things to do on social media, and so I started writing reviews for every book that I read. Um, I had to decide that it was just going to be every fiction book that I read. So I've technically reviewed like one nonfiction book, but I won't review any more of them going forwards. Um, I can imagine because... that's dicey if like the author's alive. Well, it's less so. Mm, uh, there, there was a thing where an author I didn't tag replied to my tweet with the review and was like, seemed like they were upset that I implied I didn't enjoy the book. And I'm thinking, if I didn't enjoy the book, you coming in to my tweets to say that, to like neg me for not liking the book, it's not going to make my day better. I did like the book. So it just, uh, it was a very uncomfortable couple of days while I was worried about whether they're like, whether more than one follower of theirs was going to come in and say something because somebody that, did. That is the scary, that is the scary of the world that we live in right now, especially with Twitter yeah. and especially in today. Like when I say today, I mean like in these, in these times, um, it feels like everyone is, you know, has, has their finger on the triggers, so to speak. Yeah. So, so generally I like it. I'm having like a lot of fun reviewing books and talking about books and um we've been like reaching out to authors and getting some advanced reader copies of things and then i review the book and sometimes we then interview the authors and that's been going really well so far i'm super excited about it um you said people will hear this conversation in august that means that at that point we will have two interviews out that is so exciting. I'm so excited for you. Having the interviews is like, gosh, it's like, especially when you've read their content and like you've seen mm-hmm. them create this thing and you're just like, oh my God, I finally get to ask you all of these questions that have been burning in my mind. It's it's so fun. It is a lot of fun. And thus far, it was two people where I didn't already know about their stuff, which made it like a lot less stressful because like if... And th- this did not happen, but if something had happened and the interview had, like, gone really terribly, like, if it had been somebody that, like, I'd already known about for years, then there would have been, like, that added edge of, like, oh, no, what if I love their books and they hate me? With this, I liked their books, I liked reading them, had a great time, then also had a really, really fantastic time in the interview. They were both just really, really lovely. And... um so it went really well instead of going badly but also leading up to it i didn't have as much pressure about being worried that it would go badly absolutely like i've been doing this for like almost three years now and i have yet to have an interview that has gone badly so i don't know if that's encouraging to you or not that does help a little bit Oh, I, I should I should mention the two people that we've interviewed so far. Um, I mean, by this time this happens, we will have interviewed a third person, but I don't know yet how that interview went. So um, <laughs> we're going to say it where, well. <laughs> the two where we have already recorded the interview and it will be out by the time this happens. It was um, MD New, who um, we read two of his science fiction books and then this one that involved like an angel and time shenanigans. 
And then the other is Shana Cravat, where uh, we interviewed her about uh, Tales of Mundane Magic, Volumes 1, 2, and 3. Oh, um, MD News books that we specifically talked about were Contact, Conviction, and Tag, but mentioned some others. But yeah, it was it was so fun. Like they, they were so, they were such different people to interview, but with both of them, it was just like really like happy and, and I don't know, like happy and fun seems like a weird thing to say because I should mention our podcast is about fictional depictions of trauma, which is why I say we didn't know if the interviews were going to be happy and fun. And then I was pleasantly surprised that they were happy and fun, even though some of our topics were kind of dark. Um, it I does see. help. Yeah. It does help that since we were interviewing the authors, it was darkness that they had come up with and written down. So it's not like we were talking about personal stuff or however much of themselves they had put on the page, whatever of their own darkness that overlapped with, they had chosen to put it on the page already. And so it was, it didn't, we didn't have anything to do with whether it was a, like a thing for them or not. And I don't, I don't know how much of it was um, because we literally didn't talk about that. But talking about fictional trauma um, made it a very interesting space. And um, afterwards, uh, one of them uh, told us that, you know, they, they had gotten asked questions that they hadn't been asked before in an interview and that was really nice to hear oh that's always that's always fun to hear that you've been like that you kind of like one upped one of a one one of the other interviewers that you just like it it's it's a it's a wonderful feeling i am we have lost the structure darn it (laughs) (laughs) no i really want to hear everything about your podcast and everything about that you know what structure out the window we will get to you whenever you want to get to you cool uh i can say what my podcast is yeah Um, like let's let's talk about your podcast we're on podcast road let's talk about podcasts absolutely uh so a podcast is called books that burn and it is a podcast about fictional depictions of trauma are the lens through which we approach books is that the author is the only one with agency and we don't generally view characters as inflicting trauma on other characters we view the author as having placed characters in situations where they then were hurt by other people that the author also put in that situation which makes it a very different lens and then also it we have decided that we are not going to cover certain kinds of books because there are a couple of very specific types of books where it would be inappropriate to view it through that lens. And so we know categorically we're not going to do that. Um, Off the record, what are those categories? Or on the record, it's up to you. Um, it's fine to be on the record. We are not going to do books where there's no magic involved and the plot is that someone is being bullied in high school or whatever level of school. Because a book that depicts bullying and someone getting through it, because you need fiction that has that, that actually happens, like, that's a thing. We feel that it is inappropriate to then discuss it as the author having bullied 
a teenage or younger child character with this when the whole point is to depict it so that real kids can have tools for how to handle that. Um, that's, that's one, that's the general shape of a topic where if there's, um, a topic that, um, a concept that we use a lot is called as a, we shorthand as magical analog. Um, so there are many situations in fiction where there's some like magical technological, um, world specific like buffer in between the real version of this kind of trauma and the version of it that happens in this magical world so have you read the golden compass series by um philip pullman i i know of it i saw the movie i did not read the books if you saw the movie that'll be enough okay so um there are so everyone has this demon so it's this um this animal that is part of them and so there are many situations in the books and then i think probably at least one particular incident would have shown up in the movie i saw half of the movie once um but there are several situations in the books where the daemon of an adult is holding down the struggling and crying daemon of a child and that would be a very it is it is horrifying and it is traumatic and it is a step removed from the thing it represents because right. it is not a depiction of an adult holding down a screaming child to kidnap them and that that just that little bit of space helps it to it helps it to be less viscerally horrifying while giving all the space for it to have many of those same emotions. Right. And so that's the magical analog. That's, that's like, that's one of the really early ones that we talked about. Um, and so if a book is just about a kid literally getting bullied by literal other child bullies, like there's no gap, there's no separation and there's enough other books that have magical analogs that we prefer to stick to those. It might be that later on we'll mature enough as a podcast to have a good way of handling that, but we're not there yet. And there's enough stuff with magic in them. And frankly, we prefer talking about sci-fi and fantasy in general that I don't know if we'll ever need to dip into, um, strictly mundane content for that right and uh, question what if it's yeah. like like you guys do magical completely understandable that actually makes a lot of sense um what about if it's if it's like psychological like like uh for for instance this book i read in high school i can't remember what it's called Okay. <laughs> but I, yeah, I'm so helpful. I, I think it was called Hey Fat Girl, actually. I don't know for sure. I will have to look it up because it was a long time ago. If I wanted to age myself, I've been out of high school a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but, like, it was, uh, essentially, she had been messing with some trauma, but the book didn't really tell us what the trauma was. And so what had happened is that she had, like, subconsciously manifested a character only she could see. 
that. Oh, okay. Yeah, like how like and it slowly throughout the course of the book kind of like we had to like piece together what was going on and it took until the end of the book for you to realize that that other character that she had been talking to this whole time wasn't really there. That's that's probably the closest to being a wholly mundane book that we might end up talking about, but even there it it could get tricky when our lens is the author inflicted this on this person. So right. um like I'm trying to think of something that will I, I think I, I think it out. does I think it does kind of make sense though that you wanted to stick to science fiction and fantasy because it's it's a world that the author completely controls. Right. Opposed, so, opposed to the mundane the mundane fiction, which is like they that they essentially it's, it's the real world. It happens to real people all the time. So a fantastic book that I read recently that we would not end up covering on the podcast itself. So like I did a written review of it, but we wouldn't we wouldn't it wouldn't be right for our podcast. Um it was called Dear Martin um by Nick Stone. And Dear Martin has this um a black teenage boy I believe he's 17 I know he's 17 by the time the book ends and he's dealing with police brutality and it's called Dear Martin because he's writing these letters to Dr. Martin Luther King who is unable to receive them because he has been dead for a long time um, he's writing these these letters to, to Martin to try and uh process what's going on in his life and part of what's going on is dealing with police brutality and the book is based on real events real specific events and that were happening at that time and like the entire legacy of um of police brutality and violence against black people in the u.s and so it would be extremely inappropriate for us to then discuss Dear Martin and say the author inflicted this on this character. Right. Like, and so we're not going to do that. Um, a right. That book, makes, that makes a lot of sense though. Right. Like we are using one rhetorical lens and part of having that lens is being responsible for knowing when that particular lens would not be appropriate to use. Um, a book where we did end up um, kind of in a middle ground where we uh, got a little bit close to that, but we like made sure that we were, like, said at the start of the episode, hey, we want to cover this book. We are covering this book, but our usual lens doesn't really apply um, was Long Way Down by Jason Reynolds. And we talked about that book because it has a magical analog. It has this kid being talked to by ghosts, but he's being talked to by ghosts about who are the people in his life who were killed by gun violence. So we had a magical analog, but also said, hey, normally we talked about the author inflicting this on this character. Technically it is true that the author inflicted this on this made up character, but they're illustrating, they're, they're demonstrating an archetype 
of a thing that is a real problem. And we're not placing that on that author. Like that's, we want to talk about this book and we have a magical thing to talk about. So we're going to do that. But our usual lens doesn't apply. And we tried to be very clear about that um, in the episode and changed our language up a little bit. But if that book had not had any magical elements at all, we wouldn't have talked about it on the podcast. Your y'all's podcast sounds difficult. It sounds difficult and it sounds like you guys put a lot, a lot, a lot of thought into it. And I am kind of blown away by how much you, you know, how much you're putting into it and how much consideration you're putting into it. Cause that's, that's a massive amount of consideration that some people wouldn't put into things and not to speak badly of a very wide, very, very huge, um, group of podcasts, but we see with, with, um, true crime podcasts that, you know, mm -hmm. they talk about the stories and it's almost like the people are just characters to talk about. And it's, you know, sometimes they don't have the proper. They're treating real people like fictional like, characters. Yeah. And they don't consider, and they don't consider the real, like the real trauma or a lot of other things. And I would get it. Talking about that, that genre would be really hard if they took mm -hmm. the full weight of what they were talking about each time. Um, but at the same time, you guys are taking on a lot, like a lot of, a lot of consideration and a lot of empathy for it. And it's, it honestly blows me away. And I would really love to know, um, what made you, what made the both of you want to stick to trauma to to doing to talk about that in books so i wanted to do a podcast where i talked about books i had a not great attempt with a different sibling the reason it failed is because i was going to do the editing and that did not happen oh, no. um <laughs> I feel so like yeah um so i knew i wanted to talk about books and nicole was the one who came to me and said hey let's talk about trauma and I said, okay, sure. And that's, uh, I know you're also going to interview Nicole. So like ask them how specifically they came up with trauma as the topic. Like that was their thought. Um, but both of us, we've, we've been through enough stuff where we thought, okay, like we're aware of some things. We've got like some particular sensitivities and we think if we're sticking to fiction, we can have a nuanced enough view. And what makes it, I don't know, like, because we're talking about fiction, it like, the responsibility changes a little bit, because we're talking about what, what does it do to the reader to read this book? And part of why when Nicole suggested trauma, I was like, absolutely, let's talk about it is because I have previously been traumatized by books where I didn't know oh, that no. some very dark thing was going to be 300 pages into a 500 page book. Oh, and no. I'm like, Oh no, do I keep going? This is in here. I am not okay. I am a completionist. What do I do? Oh, I like feel one of you. Yeah. One of my just like hardest moments, um, in middle school when reading was I, I was reading this book. Um, it was a retelling of 
um, the uh, Swan Princess, or not Swan Princess, the one where the the girl's brothers, her seven brothers, are turned into swans. Oh, the twelve swans, or the the twelve geese. Uh, I think they're turned into swans, but anyway, um, yeah, because there was a, a later adaptation I read of it called Swan Wing. So yeah, it's swans. And she has to be silent for seven years while she sews these shirts made, weaves these shirts made out of thistles mm-hmm. for them. And if any, if a word passes through her lips at seven years, then her brothers won't be turned back into humans. Mm-hmm. And I read a version of it that should not have been, well, shouldn't have been in the school library. Shouldn't have been in the middle school library, no. or at least not without a warning. And she gets she I. I don't remember whether it was an individual person or whether she was gang raped. Oh God. Um, and it was part way. It was halfway through this book. And it was at the time where, um, everybody was reading the lovely bones and like people were getting permission slips from their parents to get to read this other book called the lovely bones. And so I knew that having the, that needing a permission slip to be able to read this book was a thing. And I just handed it, I, I handed it to the librarian and I said, this needs the thing that the Lovely Bones has. And, like, I didn't, I couldn't get the words to tell them oh, why I needed that or what I had read. And just all I could do is just hand them and say, like, I think this needs that permission slip. I feel you. It's like the time my library, this was like when Watchmen came out. Like, this is before mm-hmm. the, the TV show. Um, but everyone was talking about the graphic novel Watchmen mm-hmm. and everyone was talking about how good it was. And they somehow convinced my librarians to get that for the graphic mm-hmm. novel section that we had was very small. And <laughs> I was reading it and it's like, I'm not comparing this to what you read, but I'm just saying it, sure, was, yeah. it was the shocking, it was the shocking image of a very nude man. Um, and it was very detailed and I was like, this is not supposed to be here. <laughs> Like this isn't a science book. Get out. Um, that was not a good. That was not a good comparison at all. Um, mm-hmm. But it was the only comparison I had. No. Yeah. Absolutely. And like, like I, I, I am thoroughly against banning books. I don't think they should be banned. Partly because when books get banned, it's usually for queer content. Oh and God. So, right. So I am. I'm categorically against books being banned. But. Uh, content warnings are amazing and should be in more books. And that's what this one needed was a very clear content warning. And um, I don't know if that would have meant I didn't read it, but as is the purpose of a content warning, it would have given me the tool ahead of time to decide whether I was able to engage with that content. Um, And I didn't have that. And like, that's what I was hoping that permission slip would do is make somebody pause and say, wait, why does it need that? Right. Especially for that in middle school. Yeah. In middle school. Yikes. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's a, I've read Bert, like I love that myth and I've read versions of it that are thoroughly PG and don't have that. Yeah, that's... and they're really great. So Your it was like the so second. Yeah, it was like the second or third adaptation of it that I'd read, and then and then it had this. And like years later, I think I figured out which book it is. Like I, we've mentioned this like in Q and A's for the podcast before. But like 
that the memory of that book was why when Nicole said, Hey, do you want to talk about trauma? I was like, yes, uh, absolutely. Because you can have dark things in books, but our goal is to kind of either help you know in advance whether you want, whether you're ready to get into what's in the book or to help you process what you read when you're done. And we structure our podcast to be as useful as possible for either of those purposes. Ooh, that is so awesome. So awesome and something I wish I had also had. Actually, I've, I have a better I have a better comparison now than just the uh-huh. Watchmen comics. Although the Watchmen is very dark. Mm-hmm. It is very dark. And this must have been before, I mean, I was in high school. So this was definitely before they did all those dark, gritty superhero movies. But Watchmen was the dark, gritty superhero movie. It was, it was, uh, it was rough. There was also rape in that, too, that which was... Yeah. Nobody, nobody decided to warn anyone about it. It was in the very beginning of the book, too. It was like you could tell that they, the, the librarians didn't even really look at it. There was another book that was in our library that was called The Princess of Wands. Mm-hmm. And I, I loved that book. I didn't get to read the rest of the series because they wouldn't get, they wouldn't buy the rest of the series because enough students had come forward and said that it was, it was too anti-religious. Um, which is so funny. Like I, I was amazed. Like they read the Golden Compass all day, and this was like a, I, I was raised in a very small town. So for something to be anti-religious, uh, was um, you know, it had to be very blatant because you know they didn't know what anti-religious was unless it was literally saying "fuck God." The Golden you know? Compass is super blatant. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, I didn't know it either until I heard people saying they were boycotting the movie because it was anti-God, and I was like, "Is it? It is. Is if it? You get to book three, the like it's pretty blatant before then, but like once you get to book three, it's like, oh, absolutely." <laughs> Right. Uh, I don't want to. I I don't want to casually spoil that book, so I w- I will not. Uh, but just it it starts out with a magical version of, hey, we should do this thing that's worse than castration, but it's okay because we literally already do castration. It's fine because it's religious. Like that's the justification in the books for the terrible stuff that they're doing is. We already make Castrati, so it's fine. Um, it's been so yeah, long since I've seen the movie, and I didn't read the books, so I'm like, okay. Uh, yeah, they don't want to casually spoil the first book, but yeah, base basically they have they have a um, a very terrible thing that is only possible in this slightly magical version of the world, and. In universe, they justify it by saying, we already castrate boys to make a choir. So this other thing isn't really different from that, and it's fine. Does that really happen? Wait, you don't know about Castrati? I, I like, mean, it's not something I really look into. I generally, okay, maybe this should be off the podcast, but I generally view religion as something that is generally very dark to begin with. So, like, so Castrati, so, the last Castrati died less than 50 years, uh, 
There, I'll see if I can after this. God, it the... is not going to. It is not going to surprise me at all if you're telling me the church was castrating boys so they continue to sing in the choir because that. No, that's just... literally what it was. That's Man, literally that does what not is. surprise they me. Castrate them pre-puberty so that <sighs> their voice is going to continue to be high, and the castrato voice is distinct from a soprano. It's distinct from an alto. It has its own character. Um, so it's not the same as a cis woman singing with a high-pitched voice. It is different, and they were their own section of the choir. Well, because you couldn't have women in your all-men's Catholic church choir. And we and so give them our taxpayer the, dollars. I'm so... So if, if you wanted the high part, you had to do something to make there be a high part. Um, I don't know... I don't know if this was limited to the Catholic Church. I know that it was a thing in the Catholic Church. <gasps> and we have recordings of the person known to be the last castrato, just like a couple minutes of recordings of their voice recorded in the early 1900s. And it's, it's, it's beautiful and chilling. And I've never heard anything else like it. And I'm like, oh, okay, I see why you'd want a whole choir of that. It's not worth it. Um, I mean, if the man doesn't, I mean, okay, okay, I can't. Apparently, say that. they were prized as lovers because usually they couldn't get anybody. No, pregnant. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought we were gonna start talking about Catholics and little boys, but you know, I should have listened to the rest of that before I <laughs> reacted so viscerally. I'm so sorry. I probably no, no, no. Apparently, apparently, the castrato were um, prized, uh, or some of them, if they wanted to be, would have. Uh, would have affairs with women and they couldn't get them pregnant. So depending on how the castration was done. Okay. Um, I'm I'm... so sorry. (laughs) Uh, I wasn't expecting such a visual reaction to come from me. Um, I apologize for the outburst. Yeah, it's just like this weird little cluster of facts that like I have in my head to rattle off because they're very relevant if we're talking about the Golden Compass. Oh my gosh, I um, love it. I love random facts and this is like a treasure trove that I did not expect to get. I love this. Um, yeah, so that's... Uh, yeah, that's kind of why we wanted to talk about trauma and it's led to some like really interesting and cool conversations and also some like really rough conversations wherever we have uh, discussed books that like hit too close to our own personal stuff. Like we're like, okay, we can only talk about a book that has food insecurity every six months because we, we can't handle that happening more often. Like it, it was really it was really bad for we had a, a terrible couple of weeks um, when we recorded our episodes on the Hunger Games. Like the two of us were just not okay. Um, if you, I don't know, have you have you uh, read the Hunger Games or seen the movies? I no, I have not. I'm sorry. You're okay. Like, how much do you know about them? Um, I know it's a lot of a lot of the rich pitting the poor against each other in a way to entertain themselves. And, like, I know there's a lot of people starving. Yeah. And that's why they call them the Hunger Games. Yep. And, yeah, so that meant 
like I had read them a very long time ago and then rereading them in the interim most of what I'd heard about was people complaining about the love triangle and I it's so ridiculous yeah like love triangles like it's a whole thing but our podcast is not about the plot so we didn't have to worry a ton about that that's also nice because people usually argue the most about the plot and so by not focusing on the plot I think that helps a lot for us to like tread ground that at least people like aren't already aware of or worrying about a whole bunch um but with with the hunger games Katniss spends more time thinking about how she's going to get food, worrying about food, worrying about hoarding it, worrying about saving it, worried about whether she's going to have water. Like there's constant ideation about food and very occasional small scuffles and battles with other people where she's in danger in a way other than trying not to starve. But when people talk about the books, when they talked about them and said, oh, you should read The Hunger Games for your podcast, there's a lot of kids fighting. And... I mean, that... it's not Lord of the Flies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess you could make um, that reference that it is like, no. No, it is not like Lord of the Flies. Sorry, nope. continue. It's, it's not. But yeah. Um, I don't know, I end up talking about the podcast a lot and I don't want to just do the exact same spiels I've said other times. Do you have any more questions about it? Oh my gosh, about the podcast? I mean, yeah. I can sit here and talk about it all day and I feel like I need to actually just start listening to it. My problem is I, I don't think I've read any of the books, except for the first one you guys I thought was the first one. I'm not sure. By Garth um, Nix? Yes, that one. I read that first book and I did not read the rest of the books in the series, so I feel like it would be kind so, of mood point to listen to the podcast after I did not see the rest of the... I didn't read the rest of the series. My general thought would be, if you don't ever plan to read the books, go ahead and listen to our episode. If we change your mind about deciding that you want to read the rest of the series, we only minorly spoil... The degree to which we spoil the plot varies book by book, but like it's really not our focus. Um... We don't really outline the plot very much. We don't really talk about when different traumatic events happen in relation to each other, generally speaking. If we do, it's, and it's incidental. That's not a goal. Um, and so if you, if you want to know how this author handled stuff in this book in particular, or like our thoughts on handling that kind of trauma in general then listen to the episode for a book you don't ever plan to read. Um, and anything that's on your maybe pile, listen to our wrap up. Um, that's why we have like timestamps uh, in our show notes so that you can click just to go listen to the wrap up and skip all the spoilers. And we keep spoilers out of the wrap up. So we'll like have like very short phrases that we use to refer to each of our topics Mm -hmm. So that even though we spoiled a bunch of stuff in our main discussion, like usually our, our wrap up is somewhere between like two thirds and uh, two thirds or longer than um, the rest of the episode. I find that so interesting. You guys have put so much consideration into this and like so much forethought. 
And it helps like, that I had spent about two to three years listening to sampling hundreds of other podcasts, not in advance of making our own, but when we decided to make our own, it meant that I'd heard like a lot of ways that other people were doing things. And that helped give a sense of like what I did and didn't want to do in our show. And then Nicole also listens to podcasts and came in with like some things that they wanted to do or not do. That's so wonderful. Um, So we're going to actually shift. Absolutely. We're going to shift from your talking about your podcast, because that was technically supposed to come at the (laughs) end of the episode. But, you know, who cares? Say long. And we're going to focus more on you. And we're going to we're going to start by, I suppose, uh, the whole feel I have to going into this happens at the beginning of the podcast. You know, this is what happens when you have too much of your format, like put in set in stone is that when you mix this up you just go uh 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 <laughs> everywhere um but <clears throat> so we're going to start off by asking you uh, basically the the core question of this podcast and i feel like it's a very important question because it it speaks a lot about um our society it speaks a lot about community and it also speaks a lot about how we've processed our own individuality with how we've seen it in the world. And so my question to you is, when is the first time you became aware of, like, gay, queer, lesbian as a thing? Like, when did you become conscious that there was something other than straight normality? That wasn't a word. Straight, what is it? Mm. Heteronormative. Heteronormative. That is a word I say so often that I can't believe I couldn't find it for just that moment. Um, when, When did you become aware of that as a thing? Uh, ironically, growing up religious and being told it's icky for men to have sex meant that I had the idea that maybe sometimes they might want to. Uh, what took a lot longer was the realization that women could have sex that didn't involve men. You are not the first person who has told me this. Yeah. I'm not surprised. Yeah, I, I find that I find that so interesting that some of us began our journey and we just like kind of didn't know women getting together were a thing. It's yeah, so shocking. Like how how did we how did we how did we make that distinction? Anyway, continue. Well, yeah. Um. So I, the first time that I was aware of it, of um women being together in relationships was when I think I was in middle school and my mom said something about my, about my step grandmother's daughter, um, having a girlfriend. Interesting. Continue. Uh, and so I think that's the first person that I knew of. And I think at that point I had met them once because they lived on the other side of the country. Um, still live there as far as I know. And that was the first time that I knew of someone who identified as female, as far as I know, um, having a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and it was it, it was definitely in the context of like not being happy about this development yeah that's that is also a reoccurring thing yeah. um, how did it how did it reflect on you with your you coming to terms with your identity um i thought that my uh my mom got into this very this just extremely um uh, mix of fundamentalist and pentecostal um organization for a while that um was about how to pray the demons away it doesn't work by the way um but it was about all these like really specific litanies and phrases that you had to say in order to like um get rid of diseases and stop having certain thoughts and so i was like i'm spending almost all of my day saying these litanies and it's it's not working um at the time uh this was middle school and early high school, I had decided when I was like 11 or 12 that I wasn't going to date until I was 18. So I had a couple years left on the not dating until 18 thing. Um, But I couldn't stop thinking about sex in like the conceptual like word sense, like no details of any kind, Um, but just oh no, demons are filling my heads with literal thoughts of the word sex. Um, huh. Yeah. And that's what it, that's what I thought was happening at the time. Um, and then um, eventually I realized I was bi, but I didn't realize I was bi until I was already engaged. I was in my last year of college um i was engaged to someone who at the time uh well my what my now wife is trans and um so at the time uh it it was tricky because i was like oh no i'm bi but i'm dating you what do i what do I do with this? And then it was like, oh, there's just twice as many people that aren't you that I'm not dating. Okay, cool. Great. That's all that's happening with that. Um, and then after she came out as trans, um, about a year into us being married, I, I played this computer game that... It's called Pyre. Um, it's by Supergiant Games. It's really good. I like it a lot. They make really good games. And it let you pick your pronouns. It let you pick how people... It's a narrative game with a lot of text. And it let you pick how people refer to you. And I was clicking through and I was like... Like in video games, it's always been like, ah, you know, he or she, what do I do? And like, you know, my my assigned gender, I just usually went with that because like... The other one didn't feel right either, and so I went with, like, the default of neither, like, really right options. And then this game I decided to play as they, and it was, like, a little odd because I wasn't used to seeing myself referred to that way. And I was like, oh, okay, I think I like this. Um, And then about four months later, I ended up coming out as non-binary. 
Right. And I, I think you said in your in your little questionnaire thing you gave back to me that there was also something about roller derby, which I think yeah. is so freaking cool. Yeah. Uh, um, I play, cow. when we're not in a pandemic, I play a roller derby. My derby name is Microsoft Accelerator. I go by Excel for short. And uh, so I was not, I was, so there were other non-binary people in the league and I, um, before coming out, I had talked to some of them and like asked questions about being non-binary and everything they said just like fit. And um, my, my partner had like asked questions to basically try and figure out if maybe I was a binary trans person and like every question related to that i was like no that's not it that's not it that's not it like i i did a mask thing today i did a femme thing yesterday like you keep trying to see like which direction i'm gonna go on this there's no direction to go like she was being she was like actively getting me to like question it and think about things and like being really really supportive but even though she was trying to like um help me figure this out like none of the questions felt like they fit because as I now know, a gender is the best word for me to describe my, um, my feelings about gender, which are, I don't have one, but it sure seems like other people are happy about the one they have, which is cool. Um, <laughs> I just, I had gone along with the default for a really long time because it, it was easier. Um, and no attempts to do the other binary gender really felt like they fit, but I wasn't I wasn't happy with my assigned thing either. Um, but yeah, so like having other non-binary people in roller derby to talk to in my league, and I told one of them, "Hey, um, I think." I think I'm going to use they, them. I, I think I might be non-binary. And they were like, oh, cool. For how long? And I was like, ah, oh, since yesterday. And they were like, fantastic. Let me know uh, if it's ever not that. But you, I, I'm, I'm so grateful to, um, I'm so grateful to uh, them for, for saying to me that I, I didn't, that it didn't matter if I had only used these pronouns for a day. They were mine until I tell them I until I tells them I want something else. That's how I see it too. Like I don't understand what's this huge fuss about. Like who I I don't understand why people are upset by how other people want to be referred to. I don't get it. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you're fine. Um, I think that with language is a tricky thing people feel like there's all these additional sets of things that they need to learn and figure out but they're not thinking about like there's like three or four different titles for uh, referring to um uh female identified people that all they differentiate is what their marital status is and you don't even think about that being like kind of like a burdensome thing to have to constantly calculate when trying to address someone. I mean, I but, know what I'm spelling it out, but that's only because I'm like 
I'm a little bit dyslexic, but oh, okay. that's I'm that's confused. that's completely just that's just it. I'll be like, Miss, Mrs. Wait a minute, how do you? And then but, I get like lost. Uh, but you know what you're trying to hit, and then yeah. like dyslexia is just getting in the way. But you've got like three or four different things to try, and and write, and also like that's setting aside that um, masculine people who want a title they can just use mister and it doesn't have anything to do with what their marital status is historically which is um, bull crap i i really hated that for ever it was like there's no change in their name at all and whatever yep. patriarchy whatever yeah uh so that kind of sucks um you don't have to be masculine to use mister but just like historically there was a title for masculine people that didn't have anything to do with their marital status and a title for feminine people that is all about their marital status and like matters a whole lot and is a super big deal. And so uh, remembering people's pronouns, um, you're already remembering someone's pronouns normally. Like in your head, you probably already store whether a friend identifies as he or she or whether you think of a person as using he or she, even if you have never talked to them about pronouns. So all it's doing is just adding like a couple more menu options. Um, and I think getting past that hurdle of, I can't just look at their body or their body type and guess at what pronouns they want I have to ask, or they've already told me. Like, to me, it it feels better to have someone say it because, or have it written down, because then you don't have this, like, this worry that you're going to have the wrong thing. And, like, I understand people being worried they're, they're going to say the wrong thing, but that's why we need to normalize people saying their pronouns up front and writing them down. Absolutely. I feel like I rambled a bit. Roller Derby is yeah. great. I miss skating. And... <sighs> How do you feel about talking about when you were coming out? Did you talk yeah, about I how you that. were with your with your Roller Derby friends? And they were very opening and very, yes. like, very embracing. And it's so wonderful that you had a support group. Or at least just a very, you know... Not not exactly a yeah. support group, but you had a group of friends who were, like, totally cool with it. Like, they didn't, they didn't care. It's great. It's yeah. wonderful when they don't care and they completely respect you. Uh, it, it's not 100% don't care. So it's, there's, there's some, depending on how you count it, there's somewhere between, like, 60 and 80 people in the league. Holy and cow. A lot what? More pe- that's a lot more people than I thought there was. I'm sorry. I was caught off guard. No, no. You're, yeah. Yeah. Like somewhere between like 60 and 80, like including non-skating officials and referees and like people who are members of the league. Um, like at practice, we've had practices where on a single day, we think, because we had in a year with full roster, we have a roster of 20 people for our B team and 20 people for our A team, and then some people who aren't on either one of those. And depending on the year, 
that can get you to like 50 or 60 skaters and then we also have non-skating officials and referees so oh. generally within the league it's been like really accepting and really great but then there's like individual people who like aren't totally like necessarily like up on everything or like haven't talked to them and like even like within that space I ended up coming out kind of like over and over because I hadn't seen this person at practice and then some they call me not the right pronouns uh, because my pronouns updated and then someone else will chime in and say you know it's they them the one bit where that was like really fun um, so within that space I ended up like coming out kind of repeatedly over several months it's just like people showed up at practice who hadn't been at practice in a while and then also like on the track someone would call me their own pronouns and then like it was really especially fun when like I was jamming which meant that like I'm doing I'm trying to get past people to get points and other people are trying to block me and um people where both of them are trying to block me one would say like the wrong pronouns when describing where I was on the track so that everybody else knew where I was to like move and block me. And then someone else would like keep like correcting them and like saying my pronouns. And then it ends up distracting both of them and then I can get through easier. So that's when that happened. Uh, That was one of the like nice side effects. I I like Uh, a wholesome queer advantage. (laughs) Yes. Yes, absolutely, of uh, coming out partway through. Um, Like, our league has, like, a pronoun spreadsheet where people can go in and self-identify and, like, keep that updated. And, like, it's a nice, like, quiet way of, like, keeping people in the know for anyone who wants to say what those are. Um, So just, like, little things like that make it, like, a generally affirming space. But it doesn't guarantee that every single individual interaction is going to be great. so right right i mean i i had no idea that it was such a big league for some reason in my head it was like 20 maybe 30 ish people and uh that was that was not the case but how was it every other aspect of your life did you Um, did you find that in the roller derby ring it was easier so and we don't have to talk about this if you don't need to because you said your mother was really religious no um well because i think like a lot of people go through something that's kind of like this um when i came out to my mom as bi um and I, i usually say bi because for myself i haven't totally untangled my romantic and sexual axes like i'm still trying to figure that out but by without the suffix is an accurate description. I just don't totally know if it's bisexual, biromantic, or both. Because um, I, don't, I don't have a totally strong sense of that. I just kind of keep being attracted to everybody. So um, I'm figuring that out. But anyway, so when I came out to my mom as bi, I was like a couple months into being engaged no, sorry. I came out to everybody but my mom uh, a couple months into being engaged because I didn't think she would take it well. 
I feel um, you. I did the same thing. <laughs> so I came out to a couple of select other people in my family. And then I started like gradually mentioning it when it was appropriate to people who like weren't in my family because kind of like Tessa sat and like say it and help it like feel more real. Um, especially since I was already very committed in a relationship and I didn't know what to do with this or what role it would play if I already was engaged. Um, then after we got married, we'd been married for a few months and, um, I was, I'm the one who likes forms and spreadsheets and things. So I was, um, looking over, um, my, my wife's college application stuff for grad school. And I was like, Hey, you know, this one college has like 10 different, um, gender identity options. Like, what do you want to put? And she kind of like stammered for a couple of minutes and was like, uh, not saying, and I'm like, Oh, you're going through something, something's happening. Okay. All right. Um, so I had a little bit of a heads up and then about four months later she came in and said, Hey, I think I'm trans. And I was like, Oh, that explains the everything ever. <laughs> um, and so at that point we'd been married for a little over a year by the time she like actually came out to me. And, um, so then it had been two years since I had figured out I was bi and I was like, okay, I'm going to tell my mom I'm bi to try and get like a preview of how she might take me telling her my wife is trans. Mm -hmm. And she wanted to know what that meant for my marriage. And I'm like, there's twice as many people I'm not dating. Uh, (laughs) And she was like, okay. And then. It's probably the best description I've ever heard. Really? Yeah. I mean, uh, technically now our, our, our marriage is open so that's no longer necessarily true but yeah like as a as a general like quippy thing like statistically opening up like technically doubling the number is not it's not useful it doesn't change anything Mm -hmm. like open or not poly or not it (laughs) that's too many people (laughs) for it to really affect the numbers um And so then several months later, um, after she came out to me, my wife then, then, um, came out to her family. And after she dead dropped the letter to her parents, we lived a mile away from them, two miles away from them. Uh, after she dead dropped the letter to her parents, I called my family members and was like, hello, uh, my wife is trans. And then we proceeded with the rest of the conversation. Um, and there was several of the like, I thought you had a husband. What do you <laughs> mean? Are you still with dead name? And I'm like, my wife is trans. <laughs> I bet. Do you have any oh questions? And then for it, for the religious uh, family members, where the ones where I hadn't already told them I'm bi, I said, I'm bi. I'm fine with literally whatever happens with her. My wife is trans. Do you have any questions about that? Um, so I kind of like bundled that version of me coming out into like explaining why they didn't need to worry about us. We were going to be fine. 
Um, because I didn't want them like worrying that I was going to leave her or something. Um, when I'm like, that's okay, kind of, that's kind of sweet. Yeah. Like and, that's, that's kind of sweet. That's not the, that's not what I thought you were having to defend, but that was, that's kind of sweet. <laughs> yeah. Like that's, I mean, that's one of the first questions I got is like, oh no, like if, if your spouse is no longer identifying as the gender they identified as when you got married, are you going to leave them? And I'm like, no, like I know people do, but like, no, I'm not. Um, and then it was about, it was about a year after that when I ended up coming out as trans, um, as non-binary and I, I am a trans person. I'm a non-binary person who does identify as trans, um, but not all non-binary people do. Um, and when I came out as non-binary, part of it was because um, part of why it took me so long, um, despite never really identifying with my AGAB, was that. I had this like weird feeling of like, well, she's trans. What are the odds that we both be trans? Like, clearly I have to be cis. Like you couldn't have like two trans people who find each other when they don't like, know they're like, trans. Like, I don't want, well, I don't want to what are the odds that That's going to happen. And so like, <laughs> it took me like a little longer to actually come out and like get the labels that matched the way I'd been feeling since I was younger than 12 um, of gen of gender you gross get away from me what are you doing um, because again as I said I'm a gender <laughs> I don't have a strong sense of gender at all I have some aesthetic stuff that I care about but I'm <laughs> my gender identity is practical uh, Skirts with pockets. Kilts are amazing. Do the pants have enough pockets? Is this a vest? Can he add more pockets onto this vest? Um, <laughs> that's that's how I pick my clothing. Uh, I For a long time when I was a kid, I picked winter coats exclusively based on how many pockets they had, even if they were pockets I couldn't reasonably use or reach while I was wearing the coat. Um, but yeah, so... Coming out in, like, this combo, I'm bi and my wife is trans. Do you have any questions about the trans bit? Um, that kind of, like, helped me come out to a bunch of people. And then the non-binary conversation has been, like, a whole thing. Like, I usually, with family, I usually hadn't worried about trying to explain a gender because saying no, I don't have one is a much trickier conversation than my gender is not one of the two options you assumed it was. Um, I think people who are new to gender conversations can, they can grasp binary trans easier than non-binary and the non-binary as a general term easier than any of the particular non-binary identities um, like genderqueer or agender. That's usually what I've found. Um, and most of my family, most of 
most of my family doesn't end up using my pronouns, which kind of sucks. Um, yeah, because they're like, well, we don't talk to you very often, so it's hard to remember. And I'm like, well, bullshit. maybe if you practice them more often, uh, you'd get it. But you like, OK, so you like have so many siblings. I don't understand why they don't. Just my siblings call you. are on it. Like, my siblings are up on it. Cool. That's all right. But I'm also, like, I'm so glad your siblings are up on it. Let me tell you, Mm -hmm. if I had told something like that to my sister, we're not getting into that conversation. (laughs) Um, But, like, I I feel like you have, like, how many siblings do you have? I have two full, two half. So, four siblings. Yeah. Like, you would think, like, my mom has, like, three children, and she somehow, you know, you get to that point where you have too many kids that you, for whatever reason, call each child by the other child's name until you finally get it. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> I feel like they would just call you by your name and just, like, skate around the profile game instead of being... I don't know. People are so weird about the things that they choose to take a stand on or the things that they get defensive over when it has nothing to do with them. I don't... I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry I, I mean, I... I I hadn't tried to press the issue with one of my family members because this was like the same older relative who every Christ- Christmas I they would call me Robbie. I would say, please don't call me Robbie. And they would say, oh, sorry. And then next Christmas they'd call me Robbie. So oh, freaking God. So like with that person, I was like, I've told them the pronouns. I know it's not going to happen. I've been telling them, don't call me this for... 10 years I'm not <laughs> like <laughs> but that I gave up on that one I don't think this one is going to change it's not that they don't care it's that I don't know it's it's literally that they don't care but not in like a malicious way more like a just not a priority way um, and because I choose the terms on which I interact with them, like phone calls or whatever. Um, like it, it means that like I have that the space for that to not like matter as much. Right. But um, like the connecting thread here ends up being like that. I am not talking to my mom right now. Um, Yeah, so, like, I had mentioned that, like, I came out as bi a couple months before I knew that my wife was going to come out as trans to, like, test the waters and see how she'd take it. And it ended up being that about two or so months after um, Ava came out as trans, um, I was talking to my mom, and she was... um, dead naming my wife and using the wrong pronouns and I asked like why is this so hard like what would it take and she said that she couldn't mentally process her being trans because she hadn't yet finished processing that I was bi and it had been at least six months since she had gotten that news at this point um and So then after like an additional six months or so, um, there ended up being this long conversation where she listed all the reasons why she wasn't going to use the right name or pronouns. And I texted, and there's 
a whole lot of other stuff going on with why I'm not talking to her. But this was kind of like the final straw of, I no longer have a reason to affirmatively want to talk to you. And this experience is nothing but painful and I'm done. Um, So it was kind of like that final thing of like, I wasn't ready to cut you off for me, but I will stop talking to you because you won't respect my wife. Um, Kind of like, I didn't like know how to set the boundaries for me, but I could set them to protect my partner. And so I texted her to say that I wasn't going to talk to her anymore. And she used my wife's name and pronouns in the very next text message. Hmm. Like, huh, weird, weird how all of a sudden you knew that. Um, At that point it was too little too late. And I, I talked to her like, for logistical conversations three times in in the next year and a half and then now it has been we're coming up on it being a year since I've talked to her um it's like okay I am not talking to her in 2020 I'll see how 2021 goes um I'm sorry you have to go through with that yeah it is it's it's difficult to do that and like the gender stuff isn't the isn't the only reason it's not even the main thing but it's like it's it was kind of the tipping point of like this is just one more thing I don't have anything positive that I want from this interaction anymore and you have explained why you either don't think you hurt me or think I should be totally cool with it and I'm I'm not up for this anymore. So I'm so sorry you have to deal with that. Yeah. I mean Are things better for yourself though? Yeah, generally better. The only thing is I don't like being someone who isn't talking to their mom. Um right. like I don't right. I don't like being in that club. Um, it's not a fun club, but, um, it was overall something I needed. And so it's like, okay, like one calendar year at a time, am I talking to her this year? And I think no. Um, I did reach out and like, when all the pandemic stuff started happening and I was like, oh no, I'm an atheist now, I can't do magic wishing like I used to do, um, and I'm freaking out about death, uh, what should I do? And I actually, like, messaged and reconciled with somebody where, like, we'd had a falling out back when I was still religious, and I was like, hello, I would like to start over. Um, And so I, like, I did that positive reconnection with somebody. Um, And so I've had... Yeah, and so I've I've had a lot of, like, should I try and do that with my mom? But, like, I'm not, I'm not ready yet. And the underlying reasons and conditions surrounding, like, the source of our conflict, like, as far as I know, haven't changed. So. Well, you're doing right now what is best for you, and I think that's the most important part. Yep. Yeah, like, generally, 
coming out has been either, oh, absolutely, cool, thanks for telling me your pronouns, or it has been, I don't think I can remember those, what do you mean you're non-binary? Uh, there hasn't really been a ton of middle ground there. So, but luckily the people that I am talking to the most um, have been have been up on it or like or even better i'm not their first non-binary friend isn't that beautiful now it's that it's that it's it's happening that people are becoming more and more familiar with it Mm mm-hmm it's it's definitely great i don't think i've ever asked you like how did how do you identify i'm sure your your audience might already know but i don't you know i don't actually talk about myself that much which crazy you know i've had entire interviews with people entire like two hour interviews with people and they were like what is your name again (laughs) (laughs) um i i i am she her um i haven't i haven't thought very hard on my gender at all because it took me a long time to come to terms with my sexuality let us attempt to get back on track absolutely Um, do you want to get into, like, the guest-to-guest question and that stuff? That That is the end part of the podcast. Or do you have more? Because I feel like we got into some real good, pardon my saying, meat and potatoes for this. Okay. Delicious. Um, I realize I haven't ate dinner, but that's fine. <laughs> so have I already been given the question from the previous guest? I, I need to give it to you because I actually... <laughs> I'm kind of cruel in the way that I won't give my guests a heads up on it. I'll, I'll mm. I kind of spray it on them, and you can take as long as you need to answer it. Okay. Um, um, okay, first let me, like, make my question without any outside influence. Um, thing you should ask guest. You're just, um, like, mixing up the whole, like, the whole structure of this podcast. You're, like, throwing it <laughs> to the wind. Go for it. <laughs> um... Well, I, I don't want to, like, riff off of that previous question. Oh, I want to... Not a uh, problem. Yeah. Um, when you see cars, do you think they have faces? Uh, and then... So you say, I'm supposed to answer my question? Yes, please. Cool. So, for me, when I look at the tails of cars, when I'm behind the car... They look like they have faces, and usually the license plates are the teeth. Not always. Depends on the car. Huh. I have to admit, I've never seen it through that point of view. Yeah, that's the point of view from which I normally am looking at someone else's car, is that I am behind them in traffic. Um, when, I was a, when I was a kid, we... Uh, well, my parents are divorced. We haven't talked about that at all. My, my parents are divorced, and we had a uh, visitation... Uh, where weekend visitation in a city two and a half hours away each direction. So I spent a Mm -hmm. lot of time in the car looking at the backs of other people's cars. And to me, they look like they have faces. I hadn't really thought about the fronts of cars having faces until like much later. I feel you because I I would get, you know, I I actually kind of identify with that, the back of cars. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I always saw like, the fender as being like the mouth. So I never thought of the license plate being the teeth. Mm. Yeah, like it, it, it depends on them. Sometimes it's the teeth, sometimes it's the nose. 
Right. Um, depending on whether the fender is more like the chin or more like the mouth. But for me, usually, like, the fender was, like, the bottom of the face. Mm-hmm. Um, and the license plate was the mouth. And that That's leads to a lot of shapes where it looks like they're, like, surprised. Um, oh. Because it's kind of a round mouth shape. That's interesting. That's going to be a fun question for my next guest. But let me give you the question from our last guest, since we are throwing everything out of order here, which is uh-huh. which is all right. Mixing it up every once in a while. Um, so the guest to guest question is when my last guest t- tells, oh shit, I've already, oh no, <laughs> I've already said it wrong. Okay, sorry. So the guest to guest question when my last guest tells my next guest. Uh, a question without knowing who each other are, and then you've already provided your question and your answer, so that's great. Check that off the list. Um, their question to you was, what fit, what location slash geological place would you like to visit? Um, I've always wanted to go to Mammoth Cave because it has the word mammoth in it. And I thought mammoths were in the caves. I now know they are not. Oh, um, in Kentucky? Yes. There's no so, mammoths there? No, mammoth, it just means that they are big <gasps> caves. <sighs> now I know not to go there. Thank you for letting me know. Because <laughs> I was like, mammoth as, bones, yeah. Nope, as, as far as I am aware, it's mammoth because they are big. Um, Freaking Kentucky. Yeah. Always yeah, uh, and as I said, I'm from Ohio, so I was like, we keep, like, when we go up for Christmas now from Louisiana every year, my wife will be like, do you want to stop by Mammoth Caves on the way? And I'm like, I did not ask for that much PTO. We literally do not have time and we can't do it. Um, so, like, I keep having the opportunity and not going because I am claustrophobic. So it's one of these, like, I don't know if it's ever going to happen. Um, My my alternate is the Grand Canyon, because I just want to be in, like, a big, weird space. I feel like the Grand Canyon would be better for people with, like, claustrophobia. Yeah, probably. But, like, Mammoth makes it seems like it's going to have mammoths in it. Um, I know, right? I am so disappointed. Yeah. Man. Yeah. All right. Let's let's move on from that disappointment and uh, go over to our recommendation section, which is where you give a recommendation to our listeners of just something you're really enjoying right now. So I am reading a lot of really, really amazing books. And... um, I don't know if you'd drop links of whatever I recommend in the show notes. I mean, if you send them to me, I definitely will. Absolutely, I will. So, in the show notes, you will have a link to my fiction recommendations list from Goodreads, or through Goodreads, um, of the books that I recommend that I have personally read and written a review for in my capacity as the person writing doing written book reviews for books that burn. Um, And uh, of the things that I have read most recently, um, if you can only read two, uh, let me look at my list quickly. I know what my number one is. 
and I want to get a number two real quick, um, of if you can only read two books uh, this month, this year, whatever, what two you should read. Um, you should read... Um, should read Beneath the Citadel by Destiny Soria. Um, Beneath the Citadel is a um, it's a fantasy book, and um, it it plays with identity and memory in like this really cool way. And I love high stories, and I just really really loved reading this book. Um, it just it's so good. I loved how it handled relationship triangles. It has people who used to be in a relationship but are still friends, and that's how the book starts. Um, and that's not something I've seen very much. Um, I'm reading a lot of stuff, and I still haven't really run into that this year in the stuff that I've been reading. So that was just really, really great. Um, that is always nice to see. It's a shame it's not always feasible yeah and like two out of the it uh two out of the four main characters specifically say what queer identity they have and then a third person uh ends up in um a uh male with male relationship and so implicitly is some kind of queer but they don't end up specifically saying i think within the text so to have like three out of four main characters be queer um it's not the only time that's in a book but it's just like that extra like bit on top with like all this other great stuff going on in the story um and then the thing i read so that's the one that i read like a while ago that i'm there's a lot of books that I've been reading that I'm still thinking about, but that one was really, really good. And like, um, it's like, a, it's a, a good magical heist story that, that also has depth without being like too grim dark. Um, so I could recommend it to like pretty much anybody. And then, um, recently, like last week or early, yeah, last week or maybe early this week, times of blur with this i read um peter darling um by austin chant um, my understanding is the author no longer uses the name austin but like if you're trying to find the book the name on the cover is austin chant and they um it's it's so it's called peter darling and it's trans peter pan huh. and it's it's like really ingenious because like one of the tricky things with trying to figure out um, in fiction when portraying trans characters is what are you going to do with dead names? You're going to have one, you're going to not. Like, are you going to make up a name that the character used to go by that they don't go by anymore just to satisfy the audience, like voyeuristically kind of like wanting to know about a dead name? Um, are you going to say what their what their um, Ajab was like? Are there a gap? Like, are you going to have that or not? And by having it be an adaptation of Peter Pan, where it's called Peter Darling, if you know anything about Peter Pan, that tells you what the dead name is. 
it tells you what the assigned gender was. And so the text is free to not have Peter misgender himself. But you know what's going on. And it was... Um, it, it triggered my dysphoria in a cathartic way. Um, so, like, watch out for that. That might be a thing. But it was really, really well handled. And just... Uh, I love what it did with Pan and Hook. Like, it's it was so good. And I could just stare at the cover of that book. Just... It's so beautiful. Like, I don't know how... Publishing often doesn't give authors a a much control over what their book covers look like. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know how much this author was able to control what their cover looks like, but I can't imagine a more perfect cover for this book. It's just, it's gorgeous. Um, If you can like look it up, it's, it's got like, it's a a silhouette of Peter with his arms spread out, like suspended in this book in this like background of like blue stormy clouds and it has it it has kind of like a, a reflection of the shadow so it makes it look maybe like he might be on water but he's definitely in the middle of storm clouds and it's just so pretty um that's fantastic the book's look, great and i could stare have to look at it i'm gonna have to look at but I, I will definitely send you the link of the fiction recommendations list um, because that list I'm curating and it is, um, I, I'm guaranteeing that it is at least 90% um, queer authors and or authors of color, um, prioritizing queer authors of color if I can get that. Um, and it's all just really good books that I could recommend without reservation to anybody who is at least 16. Oh, good. Oh, good. Yep. Like some of them individually, I could recommend to someone as young as 12, but like we're aiming for like YA and adult. So anyone where I would like, without being worried about it, give it to a 16 year old. Um, it's on that list. And there's kind of like a reserve space of like that 10% white cis head authors because I don't want someone's presence on this list to automatically out the author as queer if they are not obviously a person of color. Right. And so I have that space reserved on purpose. Um, especially when, since we're interviewing people um, over time, we might be in a position to like know stuff that isn't public and so right. I don't want to have, I don't, I didn't want it to be no cishet people on here or right. no cishet white people, because then it's like, ah, if I know somebody's queer, but I also want them on the list, like, what do I do now? And so I have that space reserved to give that leeway. I, um, I feel you there. Yeah. So, and then I'm going to try and have it be at least 75% POC. That's kind of what I'm aiming for with that balance. Should probably say goodbye for the episode proper. Yes. Uh, it has been so great to talk to you. And uh, thank you so much for having me on the show. 
Absolutely. You took the words out of my mouth and thanking you for being on the show. Yeah. It was a really wonderful, wonderful conversation. Excellent. And I look forward to possibly our next episode. Possibly. Don't you go telling your Sib what the guest to guest question was. If, oh, I won't. If they're the ones that I'm going to interview next. Do not tell them. Do not ruin this. I won't tell them. They might be able to tell that it was my question, though, because it was definitely a mutual topic when we were kids. Uh, absolutely. Well, as long as you don't tell them, we should be mm-hmm. fine, and hopefully they'll get back. To, they'll get back with me when they will be available. Excellent. 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 Well, thank you, thank you, thank you once again for coming and talking. I learned so much, and I love learning. Like learning is the best part, and ah. Uh, it was, it was also very nice to get a, a very different perspective on something. <laughs> <laughs>